Johns Hopkins University Press podcast. I'm Mary Alice Yeske with the JHU Press Journals Division. Joining us today is Dr. Peter Kerwin. Peter was recently named editor of the journal Shakespeare Bulletin after three years serving as performance reviews editor. Peter is an associate professor of early modern drama at the University of Nottingham. He has two co-edited collections out this month, Shakespeare's Audiences with Matteo Pangallo from Routledge and the Arden Research Handbook of Shakespeare and Contemporary Performance with Catherine Prince from Bloomsbury. He is the author of the Bardathon Review Blog and is currently working on a new edition of The Winter's Tale for the fourth series of the Arden Shakespeare. Thank you so much for joining us today, Peter. It's a pleasure to be here, thank you. I always like to ask folks sort of like a superhero question. What's your origin story in terms of how did you end up um, focusing on Shakespeare as your area of, of study? Sure. Um, so for me, Shakespeare came quite late into my academic career. Um, I, I was from a background where I didn't really have a lot of experience of, of uh, higher education or, or theatre. Um, I was one of the first in my family to, to come to university. Um, and when I first came to university, I came in with an interest, uh, an amateur interest in drama, but I had no real experience of seeing Shakespeare in the theatre. Um, and and I, I didn't know, I felt Shakespeare seemed interesting, but I didn't have any particular pull towards it. It was during my master's degree, really, when I was studying near Stratford-upon-Avon, and I was studying there 2005 to 2007, which coincided with the Royal Shakespeare Company doing a complete works festival. They had 54 productions from around the world in all languages, uh, all performance styles, different, uh, different political agendas, and I was there and I was entitled to five pound tickets because I was under 25. So I thought, well, I'm never going to get a chance. And so I, I went to see every single one. Wow. All of them. All of them. All of them. All of them. So 54 productions in 52 weeks. Holy cow. <laughs> <laughs> and that for me absolutely blew my mind. It completely opened up my eyes to what Shakespeare could be for so many different people. And I think whether it's seeing austere Japanese versions of Titus Andronicus or seeing kids from a favela in Rio doing a version of the Two Gentlemen of Verona uh, or seeing a cross-continental production uh, from India of the midst of an ice dream with people speaking in seven different languages no surtitles just performing to one another through their bodies um, it, it really made me see that this was a place of, of infinite variety and could mean different things to different people um, and, and that made me decide that this is what I want to do. <laughs> and I've never, never looked back from that really. That's a really, uh, that's, that is an impressive thing to do in terms of your first, that's jumping into the deep end head first as far, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't, I, I, I could probably, I mean, I feel like, I feel like I've seen a decent amount of Shakespeare, but I could probably count on two hands and one foot, how many shows I've seen. <laughs> that's very impressive. Wow. Um, so where so from that point how did you end up um coming on as editor of Shakespeare Bulletin so during that complete works festival I started keeping a blog called the Bardathon which has been going well since 2006 now so um so 15 years um and that blog got me into reviewing Shakespeare and ever since then I've I've reviewed every every production of early modern drama I've seen um several hundreds now um 
And a few years ago, I was asked if I would come on board with the Shakespeare Bulletin as the performance reviews editor. I'd been writing reviews for, for the journal for some time. Um, uh, and uh, Paul Prescott and Roberta Barker, my predecessors, I'd, I'd worked closely with them. Um, and they asked if I would like to come on uh, and use my expertise as, as a performance reviewer uh, to help edit other people's reviews. So I've done that for a few years. Um, and that's meant I've been working very closely with, with Catherine Prince, the journal editor. So when Catherine did, uh, made the decision to step down uh, at the start of last year, um, it was a fairly easy decision to, to, for, us to, for me to, to step in and start working and start kind of managing that that handover um so in that sense it was it was part of, part of me being already already in there and working with it um but part of this as well is that while i've been performance reviews editor i've been working to uh diversify the journal's contributor base um, and particularly to think about the journal as a as an international journal making sure we're covering productions from from all around the world and in that sense um it allowed me, uh, when I came on as editor, to also bring on um, a, a fascinating bunch of people uh, to, to kind of advise on the journal. So, so we've, we've extended the board, we've taken on a fantastic new performance reviews editor, Katie Santos, um, and we're really exploring what the journal can, can be as a truly international journal, I think. That's outstanding. And that actually is a really great segue to my next question, which you mostly just answered, I think, but just to find out if you have any additional thoughts. What would you say, I'm given that there are, you know, Shakespeare, there are so many journals about Shakespeare, what, what makes Shakespeare Bulletin different? How is that different from other journals that are studying the works of Shakespeare? So, so the particular remit of Shakespeare Bulletin is, is Shakespeare performance studies. And this is a discipline which uh, I think still kind of in some ways exists in a fairly nebulous sense, um, but has, has very importantly been defined by, by Bill Worthen um, and, by, uh, and by some of the work which, which Catherine and I have been doing in, in a recent editor collection that's, that's in fact coming out this month. Um, and, and Shakespeare performance studies really straddles the, the, the disciplinary boundaries of literature and theatre and performance studies particularly um, in ways that other journals don't, don't have a, such a specific focus. So with Shakespeare Bulletin, we're covering Shakespeare as performance um, from the early modern period up until uh, the present day and across media. But I think the other thing um, that Shakespeare Bulletin is, well, we're not, we're not unique in, but we've particularly wanted to put an emphasis on, on accessibility, um, but we really want to be a positive force in soliciting and nurturing great scholarship from people at all career stages. Um, and so one of the things where we, we're trying to be uh, distinctive, but also, but also trying to really help, help shape the field is in making it uh, as easy as possible for people to publish with us and, um, and, and as open as possible and as open-minded as possible to the kinds of scholarship that, that we're publishing within that remit. That leads me to something I wanted to ask about, which was that the fall 2009 issue has just been made open access. Um, and I wanted to ask you about that and how that decision got made and, and sort of the, the why behind that. Yeah, so there was a really important call out last year by the Race Before Race Executive Board, um, a scholarly community dedicated to, to anti-racism within the discipline of, of, of pre pre-modern studies um, and and all journal editors were approached to say what what are we going to do to help with this uh, now 
one of the things which we immediately noticed is that we haven't published a special issue on, on Shakespeare and race in relation to performance since 2009, and that's far too long. Um, so one of the things we wanted to do was make that last issue open access, partly because it's a phenomenal special, special issue edited by Ayanna Thompson um, and full of some really exciting scholarship. Um, but it also, I think, shows the broad range of the kinds of material that we can be doing. Um, and I'm particularly keen that the journal be a force in, in promoting critical race studies, um, especially as both, both in America and in the UK, critical race studies has had something of a, a kicking from, from politicians, despite the fact that it's absolutely crucial to understanding the, the structures of the world today um, and the problems that, that people of color are facing and indeed that we're all affected by. And in that sense, I'm very, I was very keen to show this special issue, which has interviews with practitioners, which has uh, performance studies articles, which has fantastic reviews, which has historical focused essays, and show the range of how Shakespeare performance studies uh, intersects with critical race studies in the hope of soliciting some more great work. Um, and I'm really pleased that we've got a forthcoming special issue uh, on Shakespeare and social justice later in 2021, which will be revisiting some of these ideas, uh, I think, but also expanding them in many new intersectional directions. Um, and, and that's something we're really hoping to do, to kind of draw on the best of the work the journal has published uh, and use that to inspire new work and to see what, what the journal can really be doing. The social justice issue, that sounds outstanding. Um, and you said that was coming out when? In the fall of this year? Uh, should, yeah, it should be our winter issue. Um, just wait, waiting, um, wait, waiting for everything to go through the, uh, the processes. I will make sure to put a link to the special issue on Shakespeare, race, and performance in the show notes so our listeners can get right to that um, from this podcast. So my next question is, given that you've seen so many performances, what, if any, is there one that just stands out as as the most unique or most memorable or just simply your favorite the one that blew you away the most can you can you give us an example of a performance that really is stuck with you and, and will for the rest of your life yeah there are there are there are a lot of really memorable productions but I think the most the one which has stuck in my mind the most not necessarily for the happiest reasons but because it was such an extraordinary event was a performance of a 2016 production of The Taming of the Shrew at Shakespeare's Globe in London, directed by Caroline Byrne. And it was a really fascinating production for many reasons. Um, it was part of uh, one of the early productions in the Globe's uh, drive to have 50-50 gent casting on stage. Um, it was set in 1916 to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the Easter Rising, so a predominantly Irish cast, um, uh, and exploring the taming of a shrew through ideas of, of, of suffragettes and independence and, and all kinds of ideas. Um, but this particular performance, um, there was quite a nasty accident just before the interval in that the actor playing Catherine, uh, Catherine Rose O'Brien, broke her ankle on stage. Oh my gosh. And she, I don't think she realised she'd done it at first, but they, they, they had a particular set piece involving ropes and she clearly stood up in herself. Um, and she, she got off stage and then there was a long interval, about 45 minutes, during which we started realising something was wrong. And um, and eventually the, they, they came out and explained what was going on. It turned a, they announced that she, she, she'd hurt her ankle and that because it was in preview, they uh, they hadn't yet got an understudy um, ready. So what they decided to do was to carry on with the performance. And basically the guy playing Petruchio 
carried her for the rest of the performance. And I've never seen a production like it because it transformed the entire second half of that production of The Taming of the Shrew into something very complex as this taming happened, this, this abuse, but also happened with immense loving care as one actor literally supported the other and helped them around. It, it took away the fight from that and instead turned it into something where a physical collaboration of care was being juxtaposed with the language of abuse. And it created such a bizarre performance and such a moving performance in many ways, bolstered, of course, by the fact that we were all, the whole audience was absolutely rallying behind them and recognising that they were going through something completely unplanned. Um, and uh, and and it was it was just breathtaking and one one of the most extraordinary bits of theatre I've ever been in. Um, and then she she left the production shortly um, just after that. But she she couldn't continue. Um, her, she was too badly injured, so so she was recast. Um, uh, and I I spoke to her a little bit after that because I was as it was in previews. I was one of the only people who reviewed production who'd actually seen her perform the role that she had helped create. Um, so, so I, I pick on that just as a moment of why Shakespeare performs so alive for me because it's obviously one, one hopes that one doesn't see actors break their feet on stage all the time um, for the benefit of something new. But it's a reminder of, of how live these events are and how complex their meanings are. Um, and that, that for me is what, what keeps things fresh and, and make, makes what we do so important because it feels like we're we're kind of on the front line really trying to interpret what's what's happening and make sense of that and make it useful and meaningful for, for the people who follow us. That is a, a terrific story. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to picture what that must have been like and felt like and how much that circumstance just fuzzed the line between love and hate and how you know you can you can play it pretty straight with you know them butting heads and then and then what happens in the end but that 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 must have been really moving to sort of see how the binary of love versus abuse can have a whole lot of gray area you know absolutely absolutely and, and I certainly don't think it solved the play at all but but it did it created something which I don't think could have been planned for um and and will never and will never happen again. I mean, that's the thing about live performance that would, you know, not again, like you said, we don't want anyone else to break their ankle. <laughs> but um, wow, what a great story. I got chills listening to you tell that. Thank you. Um, so what advice would you give to uh, scholars that are looking to submit to Shakespeare Bulletin? Um, I, I, I suppose one, one, one practical thing, which might sound facetious, is, is do read the guidance. Um, we, we've worked really hard, and one first thing I've done since, since starting as editor is, is to, to overhaul our guidance and make sure it's as clear as possible. Um, but more importantly, I think, um, don't be scared. I think that sometimes the stakes of submitting to a journal can seem extraordinarily high. I think people feel that it's a kind of... Um, all or nothing approach, but if it's not perfect, then, then that will be the one chance. And one of the things I'm really trying to reinforce with the journal is that it's a collaboration right from the start. So for instance, if, if something needs a bit of work before I send it out to peer, to peer reviewers, I will absolutely give authors the chance to do that bit of work. I'll give them some feedback first before we send it out. Then when the reports come back, 
you know, I, I, I synthesize them, I give guidance, we, dis we discuss the next steps forward. I'll always give advice to people on what to do next if it's not right from the journal. And that I think is, I, I, I would really like people to see submitting to, to, to this journal as, um, you know, I, 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 it still has all, all, all the rigor, of course, of full, of full scholarly review. And we work very, very hard to make sure that the articles are, are the highest possible quality. But, but it's, not, it's not a trick. It's not a game. It's the reason we do this work is because we're invested in creating and the, the best possible work there is. And that, to me, is a process of collaboration. So I'm always happy for people to get in touch with me, to run ideas past me. Um, and, and, and to even ask questions before they they submit the thing and that it's it's not it's not a test you know it's um it's it's about working with the authors I think sometimes scholars um in their anxiety just like you said they somehow you just get this mentality that the editors are there to prevent you from being published but the editors want you to be published so much and all the things you just described and all the decisions you make and all of the feedback is there because you all have the same goal as opposed to, like you said, like there isn't this wall between you and the, and the folks doing the research. So that's, that's wonderful that you've got such a, um, a positive outlook on, on being, being a, uh, an advocate for the scholarship. Well, I think, I think we all want to create the kinds of journal that we would want to submit to. <laughs> and I think, and I think that's, that's really important because otherwise it feels like there's, there are kind of hidden rules almost and and I suppose that's what I'm really keen to make clear that there are no hidden rules there's no hidden criteria that the journal editor is is as approachable as as any other academic and I would uh, I would really like people to feel able to kind of talk to the journal um, and and ask these questions and consider consider whether something's a good fit and and work with us on those articles. Excellent thank you so much. My last question is for someone who has never read a line of Shakespeare and may think to themselves, oh, I, that, I, I can't understand it. It's too intimidating. It's beyond me. It's not my, my area of study. What would you say to someone who wants to read Shakespeare but is intimidated to do so? Uh, this 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 might this might not be surprising, but I, I would definitely say watch a performance. Um, but I think one one of the things I'd particularly push is what, watch a performance that emerges from from your work. One of the wonderful things about Shakespeare performance in particular is that communities all over the world are doing it. And whether that's going to see it, I mean, in, in non-COVID times, you know, go, going to see it in, in the local park and seeing it happen within your community, um, seeing productions that are designed for people from, from, from your age group or from your, your home country. Um, and I think, I think looking for those points of access is important. But the other reason I say watch your performance is that there is so much in Shakespeare that comes alive in, in the physicality of it, in the sound of it, but more importantly, in letting it pass, letting, letting it wash over you. I, I say this to my students, but when they're trying to read a difficult play or a play they've not come across before, they get absolutely bogged down wanting to understand every, every syllable, every word. They feel that they've got to read all the footnotes. And it makes reading the plays into something that takes days at times, when I think if you're watching a performance somewhere on film or theater or, or what have you, you're watching it in real time and you don't have the time to, to stop it and, and go back and watch the note, read the notes and work out what, what the words mean. If something isn't clear, you just have to go with it and get that broad sense of what's happening. Um, and for me, this is why I think, I think letting, it, letting it happen to you, I think, in performance um, can be such a wonderful way of, 
of overcoming those uh, th those anxieties about about understanding every word and instead letting the whole thing have, have an impact and having an emotional experience to it, having an embodied experience to it, less, you know, rather than thinking of something you just got to understand in your head. Um, and I think I think for me that's that's the way into it, and that's certainly what what worked for me when I was struggling. <laughs> That's, a, that's such great advice. And as you said that, it, it struck me too, because I thought if you said to someone, read the script of this movie, a modern yeah. movie, a modern movie versus go to the theater in surround sound and watch this movie, you know, and, and what the difference is. And and I think that's a, that your metaphor was outstanding. And that's really helpful to help people understand that, you know, I think people forget it. It wasn't meant to be read. I mean, he's a playwright. It was meant to be performed. That was, his, I mean, that was his point. That was why he did it. So. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm re I'm reading plays is is a skill, you know. It's not it's not something we we in, innately have, you know. And, and reading plays can be a wonderful thing, and I th I think the plays in the, in their early published forms can can be great to read as well. But it it's about coming Shakespeare in a form that you are used to, rather than thinking you've got to learn an entire new vocabulary in order to even be able to engage with it. I think exactly. Thank you so much for taking the time with us today, Peter. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. This podcast is a production of Johns Hopkins University Press. For more information, please visit press.jhu.edu slash journals.